The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 31 New Fishery, New Experiments, New Discoveries, and House The enterprise of our dwelling went on, sometimes as a principal, sometimes as an intermediate occupation, according to the greater or less importance of other concerns. But though we advanced thus with moderate rapidity, the progress was such as to afford the hope of our being settled within it by the time of the rainy season. From the moment I discussed gypsum to be the basis of the crystal salt in our grotto, I foresaw some great advantages I should derive from it. But to avoid enlarging the dimensions of our house by digging further, I tried to find a place in the continuation of the rock which I might be able to blow up. I had soon the good fortune to meet with a narrow slip between the projections of the rock which I could easily, by the means I proposed, convert into a passage that should terminate in our workroom. I found also on the ground a quantity of fragments of gypsum that, and removed a great number of them to the kitchen, where we did not fail to bake a few of the pieces at a time when we made a fire for cooking which thus calcined, rubbed into a powder when cold. We obtained a considerable quantity of it, which I put carefully into casks for use, when the time should come for finishing the interior of our dwelling. My notion was to form the walls for separating the apartments of the squares of stone I had already provided, and to unite them together with a cement of this new ingredient, which would be the means both of sparing the timber and increasing the beauty and solidity of the work. It is almost incredible the immense quantity of plaster we had in a short time amassed. The boys were in a constant state of wonder as they looked at the heap. I seized the opportunity of imprinting on their minds the value of a firm and steady perseverance in an object once engaged in, the reward of which they now so agreeably experienced. When we first cast our eyes, continued I, on this rock, how little did we conceive it possible to transform it into a comfortable dwelling place, yet we have only in our persons sufficed for carpenters and masons, but even plasters too, and so effectually that if we had it much at heart we might adorn our walls with stucco, as is the mode in Europe. We possess both the materials and the intelligence, and with the addition of patience and industry, there is scarcely anything, even what at first should seem impossible, too difficult for our performance. The first use I made of the plaster was to complete some covers I had begun with other materials for my herring tubs, four of which I stopped down to re render them impenetrable to the air. The rest of the herrings we intended to dry and smoke. For this purpose we erected a little sort of hut of reeds and branches, as is practiced in Holland and America. By the fishermen we placed rows of sticks, reaching from side to side across the hut, laid the herrings upon them, and then lighted a heap composed of moss and fresh cut branches of trees to produce a stronger and more effective vapor for the purpose. We made the door tight, and had soon the pleasure of adding a large stock of exquisitely flavored dried herrings to our former store for the ensuing winter. 
About a month after the singular visit of the Herrings, which had now entirely left our shores, we received another, and not a less profitable one, from a fish of a different species. We observed Safety Bay to be filled with large fishes, which seemed eager to push to the shore for the purpose of depositing their eggs among the stones in fresh water. As Jack and I were walking near the mouth of Jackal's River, we perceived immense quantities of a large fish moving slowly towards the banks. As they came nearer, I distinguished the largest to be sturgeons by the pointed snout, while the smallest I pronounced to be salmon. Jack now strutted about in ecstasies. What say you now, father, said he, this is nothing like your little paltry herrings. A single fish of this troop would fill a tub. No doubt, answered I, and with great gravity I added, Prithee, Jack, step into the river and fling them to me one by one, that I may take them home to salt and dry. He looked at me for a moment with a sort of vacant doubt if I could possibly be in earnest, and seizing suddenly a new idea. Wait a moment, father, cried he, and I will do so. And he sprang off like lightning towards the cavern, from whence he soon returned loaded with a bow and arrows, the bladders of the sea dogs, and a ball of string to catch, as he assured me every one of the fishes. I looked on with interest and curiosity to mark what was next to happen, while the animation of his countenance the promptitude and boyish gracefulness of his motions and the firm determination of his manner afforded me the highest amusement. He tied the bladders round at certain distances with a long piece of string to the end of which he fastened an arrow and a small iron hook. He placed a large ball of string in a hole in the ground at a sufficient distance from the water's edge, and then he shot off an arrow, which the next instant struck in one of the largest fishes. My young sportsman uttered a shout of joy. At the same moment, Fritz joined us and witnessed this unexpected feat without the least symptom of jealousy. Well done, brother Jack, cried he, but let me too have my turn. Saying this, he ran back and fetched the harpoon and the windlass and returned to us, accompanied by Ernest. We were well pleased with their opportune arrival for the salmon. Jack had pierced struggled so fiercely that all our endeavors to hold the string were insufficient, and we dreaded at every throw to see it break, and the animal make good its escape. By degrees, however, its strength was exhausted, and aided by Fritz and Ernest, we succeeded in drawing it to a bank, where I put an end to its existence. This fortunate beginning of a plan for a fishery inspired us all with hope and emulation. Fritz eagerly seized his harpoon, and when last I, for my part, like Neptune, wielded a trident, Ernest prepared the large fishing rod, and Jack his arrow with the same apparatus as before, not forgetting the bladders which were so effectual in preventing the fish from sinking when struck. We were now more than ever sensible of our loss in the destruction of the tub-boat, with which we could have pursued the creature in the water and have been spared much pains and difficulty. But on the other hand, such numbers of fishes presented themselves at the mouth of the river that we had only to choose among them. Jack's arrow, after missing twice, struck the third time a large sturgeon, which was so untractable that they had great difficulty in securing him. I, too, had caught two of the same fish, and had been obliged to go up to the middle in the water to manage my booty. 
Ernest, with his rod and line and a hook, had also taken two smaller ones. Fritz, with his harpoon, had struck a sturgeon at least eight feet in length, and the skill and strength of our whole company were found necessary to conduct him safe to shore, where we harnessed the buffalo to him with strong cords to draw him to Tenth House. Our first concern was to clean our fish thoroughly inside, to preserve them fresh the longer. I separated the eggs I found in them, and which could not be less than thirty pounds, and put them aside to make a dish called caviar, greatly relished by the Russians and the Dutch. I took care also of the bladders, thinking it might be possible to make a glue from them, which would be useful for so many purposes. I advised my wife to boil some individuals of the salmon and oil, similar to the manner of preparing two knee fish in the Mediterranean, and while she was engaged in this process, I was at work upon the caviar and the glue. For the first, I washed the berries in several waters, and then pressed them closely in ground rinds, in which a certain number of holes had been bored. When the water had run off, the berries were taken out in a substance like cheese, which was then conveyed to the hut to be dried and smoked. For the second, we cut the bladders into strips, which we fastened firmly by one end to a stake, and taking hold of the other with a pair of pincers, we turned them round and round till the strip was reduced to a kind of knot, and these were then placed in the sun to harden. This being the simple and only preparation necessary for obtaining glue from the ingredient. When thoroughly dry, a small quantity is put on a slow fire to melt. We succeeded so well, and our glue was of so transparent a quality that I could not help feeling to de desire a manufacture some pieces large enough for panes to a window frame. When these various concerns were complete, we began to meditate a plan for constructing a small boat as a substitute for the tub raft to come close into shore. I had a great desire to make it as the savages do, of the rind of a tree, but the difficulty was to fix on one of sufficient bulk for my purpose, for though many were to be found in our vicinity, yet each one on some account or other of too much value to be spared. We therefore resolved to make a little excursion in pursuit of a tree of capacious dimensions, and in a situation where it was not likely to yield us fruit, to refresh us with its shade, or to adorn the landscape round our dwelling. In this expedition we, as usual, aimed at more than one object. Eager as we were for new discoveries, we yet allowed ourselves a time to visit our different plantations and stores at Falcon Stream. We were also desirous to secure a new supply of the waxberry, of gourds, and of elastic gum. Our kitchen garden at Tent House was in a flourishing condition. Nothing could exceed the luxuriance of the vegetation, and almost without the trouble of cultivation, we had excellent roots and plants in abundance, which came in succession and promised a rich supply of peas, beans of all sorts, lettuces. Our principal labor was to give them water freely, that they might be fresh and succulent for use. We had besides melons and cucumbers in great plenty, which during the hottest weather we valued more than all the rest. We reaped a considerable quantity of turkey, wheat from the seed we had sown, and some of the ears were a foot in length. Our sugar canes were also in the most prosperous condition, and one plantation of pineapples on the high ground was also in progress to reward our labor with abundance of that delicious fruit. 
This state of general prosperity at Tan House gave us the most flattering expectations from our nurseries at Falcon Stream. Full of these hopes, we one day set out all together for our somewhat neglected former abode. We arrived at Falcon Stream, where we intended to pass the night. We visited the ground my wife had so plentifully sowed with grain, which had sprung up with an almost incredible rapidity and luxuriance, and was now ready for reaping. We cut down what was fairly right, bound it together in bundles, and conveyed it to a place where it would be secure from the attacks of more expert grain consumers than ourselves, of which thousands hovered round the booty. We reaped barley, wheat, rye, oats, peas, millet, lentils, only a small quantity of each, it is true, but sufficient to enable us to sow again plentifully at the proper season. The plant that had yielded the most was maize, a proof that it best loved the soil. It had already shown itself in abundance in our garden at Tent House, but there, here there was a surface of land the size of an ordinary field entirely covered with its splendid golden ears, which still more than other plants attracted the ferocity of the feathered race. The moment we drew near a dozen at least of large bustards sprang up with a loud rustling noise which awakened the attention of the dogs. They plunged into the thickest parts and routed numerous flocks of birds of all kinds and sizes who took hastily to flight. Among the fugitives were some quails who escaped by running and lastly some kangaroos whose prodigious leaps enabled them to elude the pursuit of the dogs. We were so over overcome by the surprise such, such an assemblage of living creatures occasioned as to forget the resource we had in our guns. We stood as if it were stupid with amazement during the first moments, and before we came to ourselves the prey was beyond our reach and for the most part out of sight. Fritz was the first to perceive and to feel with indignation the silly part we had been playing and to consider in what way we, we could repair the mischief. Without further loss of time, he took the bandage from his eagle's eyes, for the bird always accompanied him perched upon his game bay, and showed him with his hand the bustards still flying at no great distance. The eagle took a rapid flight. Fritz jumped like lightning on the back of the Onagra and galloped over, over everything that intervened in the direction the bird had taken, and we soon lost sight of them. We now beheld a spectacle which in the highest degree excited our curiosity and interest. The eagle had soon his prey in view. He mounted above one of the busters in a direct line without losing sight of it for an instant, and then darted suddenly down. The busters flew about in utter confusion, now seeking shelter in the bushes, then crossing each other in every direction in the attempt to evade the common enemy. But the eagle remained steady in pursuit of the bird he had fixed upon for his prey and disregarded all the rest. He alighted on the unlucky buster, fixed his claws and his beak in its back, till Fritz, arriving full gallop, got down from the Nagra, replaced the bandage on the eagle's eyes, seated him once more upon the game bag, and having relieved the poor bustard from his persecutor, he shouted to us to come and witness his triumph. We ran speedily to the place. At the conclusion of this adventure, we hastened forward to Falcon Stream and dressed the wounds of the bustard. We perceived with pleasure that it was a male, and foresaw the advantage of giving him for a companion to our sol solitary female of the same species, which was completely tamed. 
I threw a few more bundles of maize into the cart, and without further delay, we arrived at our tree, one and all sinking with faintness from hunger, thirst, and fatigue. It was on such occasions that my exemplary partner evinced the superior fortitude and generosity of her temper. Though necessarily more a sufferer than the rest, her first thought was always what she could administer to relieve us in the shortest time. On this occasion, as we had consumed our little store of wine and could not soon and easily procure milk from the cow, she contrived to bruise some of the maize between two large stones and then put it in a linen cloth with all her strength squeezed out the sap. She then added some juice from the sugar canes, and in a few minutes presented us with a draught of a cool, refreshing liquid, invitingly white to the eye and agreeable to the taste, which we received at her hands with feelings of grateful emotion. The rest of the day was employed in picking the grains of the different sorts of corn from the stalks. We put what we wished to keep for sowing into some gourd shells, and the turkey wheat was laid carefully aside in sheaves till we should have time to beat and separate it. Fritz observed that we should also want to grind it, and I reminded him of the handmill we had secured from our departed ally, the wrecked vessel. Fritz, but father, the handmill is so small and so subject to be put out of order. Why should we not contrive a watermill as they do in Europe? We have surely rapid streams of water in abundance. Father, this is true, but such a mechanism is more difficult than you imagine. The wheel alone, I conceive, would be an undertaking far beyond our strength or our, our capacity. I am, however, well pleased with the activity and zeal which prompted your idea, and we will hereafter consider whether it may be worthwhile to bestow upon it further attention. We have abundance of time before us, for we shall not want a water mill till our harvests are such as to produce plentiful crops of corn. In the meantime, let us be thinking of our proposed excursions for tomorrow, for we should set out at least by sunrise. We began our preparations accordingly. My wife chose some hens and two fine cocks, with the intention of taking them with us and leaving them at large to produce a colony of their species at a considerable distance from our dwelling places. I, with the same view, visited our beasts and selected four young pigs, four sheep, two kids, and one male of each species. Our number ha numbers having so much increased that we could well afford to spare these individuals for the experiment. If we succeeded in thus accustoming them to the natural temperature and productions of our island, we should have eased ourselves of the burden of their support, and should always be able to find them at pleasure. The next morning, after loading the cart with all things necessary, not forgetting the rope ladder, and the portable tent, we quit, quitted Falcon Stream. The animals with their legs tied were all stationed in the vehicle. We left abundance of food for those that remained behind. The cow, the ass, and the buffalo were harnessed to the cart, and Fritz mounted on his favorite right. The Nagra pranced along before us to ascertain the best and smoothest path for the cavalcade. We took this time a new direction, which was straight forward between the rocks and the shore, that we might make ourselves acquainted with everything contained in the island we seemed destined forever to inhabit. In effect, the line proceeding from Falcon Stream to Safety Bay might be said to be the extent of our dominions, for as to the adjacent exquisite country of the buffaloes Fritz and I had discovered, 
that the passage to it by the end of the rocks was so dangerous and so great a distance that we could not hope to domiciliate ourselves upon its soil so we had as we had done on our side of the rocks. We found, as usual, much difficulty in pushing through the tall, tough grass and alternately through the thick, prickly bushes which everywhere obtruded themselves. We were often obliged to turn aside while I cut a passage with my hatchet, but these accidents seldom failed to reward my toil by the discovery of different small additions to our general comforts, among others some roots of trees curved by nature to serve both for saddles and yokes for our beasts of burden. I took care to secure several and put them in the cart. In about an hour we found ourselves at the extremity of the wood, and a most singular phenomenon presented itself to our view, a small plain, or rather a grove of low bushes, to appearance almost covered with flakes of snow, lay extended before us. Little Francis was the first to call our attention to it, he being seated in the cart. "'Look, father,' cried he, "'here is a place full of snow. Let me get down and make some snowballs.' I could not resist a hearty laugh, though, myself completely at a loss to explain the nature of what in color and appearance bore so near a resemblance to it. Suddenly, however, a suspicion crossed my mind, and was soon confirmed by Fritz, who had darted forward on his own nagra, and now I returned with one hand filled with tufts of a most excellent species of cotton, so that the whole surface of low bushes was in reality a plantation of that valuable article. This most useful of almost the whole range of vegetable productions bestowed by providence on man, which with the cost of only a little labor supplies him with apparel and commodious beds for the repose of his limbs, is found in such abundance in Allen's that I have been surprised not meeting with any before. The pods had burst from that ripeness, and the winds had scattered from round their flaky contents. The ground was strewed with them. They had gathered in tufts on the bushes, and they floated gently in the air. The joy of this discovery was almost too great for utterance, and was shared by all but Francis, who was sorry to lose his pretty snowballs. And his mother, to soothe his regret, made the cotton into balls for him to play with, and promised him some new shirts and dresses. Then turning to me, she poured out her kind heart and descriptions of all the comfortable things she should make for us. Could I but construct a spinning wheel and then a loom for weaving? We ended with collecting as much cotton as our bags would hold, and my wife filled her pocket with the seed to raise it in a garden at Tent House. It was now the time to proceed, and we took a direction towards a point of land which skirted the wood of gourds and being high commanded a view of the adjacent country. I conceived a wish to remove our establishment to the vicinity of the cotton plantation and the gourd wood, which furnished so many of the utensils for daily use throughout the family. I pleased myself an idea with a view of the different colonies of animals I had imagined, both winged and quadruped, and in this elevation of my fancy I, I even thought it might be practicable to erect a sort of farm house on the soil which we might visit occasionally and be welcomed by the agreeable sounds of the cackling of our feathered subjects which would so forcibly remind us of the customs of our forsaken but ever cherished country we accordingly soon reached the high ground which i found in all respects favorable to my design 
behind a thick forest gradually rose above us, which sheltered us from the north wind, and insensibly declined towards the south, ending in a plain clothed luxuriantly with grass, shrubs, and plants, and watered by a refreshing rivulet, which was an incalculable advantage for our animals of every kind as well as for ourselves. My plan for a building was approved by all, and we lost no time in pitching our tent and forming temporary accommodations for cooking our victuals. When we had refreshed ourselves with a meal, I for my part resolved to look about in all directions that I might completely understand what we should have to depend upon in this place and point of safety and salubrity and general accommodation. I had also to find a tree that would suit for the proposed construction of a boat, and lastly to meet, if possible, with a group of trees at such distances from each other as would assist me in my plan of erecting a farmhouse. I was fortunate enough in no long time to find in this respect exactly what I wanted and quite near the spot. We on many accounts have felt to be so enviable. I returned to my companions, whom I found busily employed in preparing excellent beds of the cotton, upon which, at an earlier hour than usual, we all retired to rest. Mm-hmm.